So today we've, um, we're coming to the end of our short series in Mark's Gospel and um, as the folks here will know, um, we've been running the house group, um, focus group studies alongside this uh, series for Mark's Gospel. And this passage at the end of Mark's Gospel, Mark 16, 1 to 8, um, well, the, 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 the title that I've given it is this, Conclusion or Continuation, because it's an extraordinary passage, you know, if you just read it um, as it stands, and, and uh, we'll think about that um, as we go on. But first of all, I thought we would do some punctuation. <laughs> How are you on punctuation? Oh, pretty good, sure. All right, okay. Right. Would you like to read that for me? Oh, well done. Somebody who, where is it? Mike. Okay, what it says is, if the great bee empty, put colon. Right? Here's the other bit of it. Mike? Thank you very much. If the great be full stop, putting colon. You all got it? It's a rather sort of um, 1960s and 1970s form of uh, heating, you know, that uh, we used to put coal on the fire and uh, it used to sit in the grate. However, it doesn't uh, benefit from explanation, I don't think, very much. So, the question is, in Mark 16, 1 to 8, at the end of that verse, is that a full stop or a colon? Well, of course, we can't, uh, we can't know that until we know what the difference between a full stop and a colon is, and Struan is going to tell us. Oh, you're not. <laughs> difference... Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, I think you know anyway, don't you? Full stop, of course, is the end of a sentence. Colon is used properly uh, to provide further explanation or example of what has previously been talked about. So, here we have the end of Mark's Gospel. And verse 8 says this, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. At the end? End of the gospel? They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So in Mark's Gospel, there's no Peter or John running to the tomb, no Mary weeping and talking to the one that she thought was the gardener. And perhaps no te most telling of all, actually, in Mark's Gospel, there is no actual sighting of the risen Jesus. The tomb's empty. They're told he's risen. But he doesn't actually appear up to verse 8 in Mark's Gospel. 
In the notes on this passage in the focus group material, Gordon Palmer wrote this, the Gospel of Mark has been short and abrupt in a number of places, but nowhere more so than in chapter 16. This is a really strange ending, isn't it? If it is an ending. So, the question is, is this Mark's intended ending of his Gospel? Did he intend to finish with the women being scared out of their wits and not saying anything to anybody? Well, in order to, to answer that question, we need to do a little bit of digging, and we need to, to think about how the Gospel of Mark has come down to us, because, of course, we do not have Mark's original bit of paper, or whatever it was he wrote on. We don't have the Gospel in his handwriting, as it were. What we do have is a number of manuscripts, some of them fragments, some of them more complete, with part or all of Mark's Gospel written on it in Greek. By the way, the, um, the textual evidence for the Gospels as a whole, and Mark is included in this, is far, far better than any other equivalent manuscript of equivalent age, I mean. One of the examples that's sometimes given is the um, uh, Caesar's Gallic Wars, which is a, a, a book written by Julius Caesar, and it's of comparable age to the New Testament. And in that case, I think there are something like four or five um, existing parts of the manuscript of that book that Caesar wrote. And when you come to the New Testament, there are literally hundreds of manuscripts with all or part of the New Testament on them. So don't let anybody tell you that, you know, this is, this, we can't trust this stuff. This has far better textual evidence for it than any other book of, of comparable age. But the, we don't have the original. We don't have that. What we have is, as I say, a number of, of um, manuscripts, um, some in part, some um, longer, the oldest of which are probably around about 200 AD, and, and um, Mark's Gospel was probably written sort of 60 to 70 AD. So what we've got is, is manuscripts that have been copied over the years and come down to us, and the oldest ones are maybe 100, 200 years after the writing of the Gospel in the first place. So Mark wrote his Gospel, and then in the years that, that followed, it was copied by hand, of course, because there was no other way of doing it. And uh, it was passed down through the, through the years and often preserved alongside part of the other uh, Bible manuscripts. So the question that we're trying to get at is this. Did Mark intend to finish his gospel? At verse 8. Well... Two of the early um, manuscripts of the Bible are these two. There's a, there's a thing called the Codex, the Codex um, Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus. And they're named, actually, after the places where they were found. So the, the Codex uh, Sinaiticus was found in St. Catherine's Monastery in the middle of the Sinai Desert. That's why it's called that. Uh, the Codex Vaticanus is, is something that was preserved in the Vatican Library in Rome. 
And these two uh, documents, they're called codex, by the way, because they're in book form. Probably originally they was written on a scroll, you know, the, the, the um, New Testament documents. But these two documents uh, are, are both in, in book form. Um, and they're, they're, they're a similar age, they're around about 400 AD, these two. The interesting thing about them is that neither of them have anything in Mark's Gospel after verse 8. That's where these manuscripts stop in terms of what the, the Gospel is um, recording. Now, there are other early manuscripts, and actually I was interested, I hadn't seen this before. If you look in the, the Bibles in the church, you'll, you'll see this, those of you that are, um, are with us here. Um, at the end of, of, of verse 8 there, after Gemma read, there are a couple of things that are referred to. There is, first of all, um, verses 9 to 20, which you'll see in, in the church Bibles, is in italics. And there is also uh, a little... Um, paragraph there that say some manuscripts have the following ending and in fact um, there are a number of ancient manuscripts that have different endings to Mark's gospel. They have, as I say they have the, the bit that's often in our Bibles as verses 9 to 20 and they also have this um, the, there are other endings one of them is this it's, it's similar words to the ones you'll find in the church Bibles after verse 8, some manuscripts have, but they reported briefly to Peter and those with him all that they had been told. And after this, Jesus himself appeared to them and sent out by means of them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. And some ancient manuscripts have that. Now, I don't know if you could hear it, you know, as we read it, that doesn't sound much like the rest of Mark's gospel, does it? And actually, there are, in that short passage, there are about six words in the Greek that occur nowhere else in Mark's gospel. And even in some of these ancient manuscripts, they, um, the copier has written something in the margin, as it were. And they write things like this. In some copies, the evangelist finishes here. In other words, even the first people who were copying these manuscripts, when they came on these alternative endings for Mark's Gospel, they said, hang on a minute, this doesn't sound quite right. And not only that, we know that there are other manuscripts that don't have this. In them. So, what's going on here? Well, the consensus, in fact, of modern scholarship is that Mark's gospel finishes at verse 8. And that's why I think the, the um, church Bibles are set out in the way that they are. They, they say here are some alternative manuscripts, but they also are pretty clear that the best evidence is that Mark gospel ended at chapter 8. Now, that's not quite the um, end of the discussion, because it is possible that 
part of Mark's very original document has been lost. It's, part, it's, it's possible, we'll never know, can't possibly know, that his original document, the last uh, bit of it got torn off or it got destroyed or whatever it was, before it was copied, ever copied. And that is possible. But I'm going to assume, um, for, for our purposes, that actually Mark did intend to finish his gospel at verse 8, with the women terrified and not speaking to anyone. So the question then becomes, what does that mean for us? If that's the way that Mark intended to write his gospel, if that's the thing that he intended to give us, what does that mean for us? By the way, in one sense, you know, this is, it doesn't really matter whether it ended here or, or not, because what we have to deal with, of course, as Christians, is the totality of the Bible, some, sometimes called the, the canon of Scripture. And, and we believe that not only did the Holy Spirit inspire the writing of the Gospel, but actually the Holy Spirit was present in the process of bringing all of those documents together in what we now have in, in the Scriptures, in the totality of our Bible. And that's where our starting place is in terms of trying to understand God's Word. So, what does it mean that Mark, if he did, intended to finish his Gospel at verse 8. And actually, I think it points to something that is really quite important. And it's this, that in the resurrection, as in our faith, there is both ambiguity and promise. That those two things are held together very deliberately. Mark is telling us without any question that the resurrection happened, what Miriam was talking about in terms of the um, Narnia story. The stone has gone. The women come to the tomb, they think, what's going to happen? to the We won't be able to move the stone, and it's gone. It's not there. The tomb is empty. And what Mark does record is the young man dressed in white who says, he is not here, he has risen. It's the impact of that that is really puzzling, isn't it? The impact on the women who went away terrified and said nothing. Now, the other Gospels, the Book of Acts, and some of Paul's letters give us much more information. Of course, there we find the stories of Jesus' appearance to his disciples after the resurrection, as well as the account of the ascension. And those stories confirm that physically... Jesus rose from the dead. It was a physical resurrection. The body was gone from the tomb. The tomb was empty. I know my Saviour lives. The empty tomb is there to show my Saviour lives. So the, the, the resurrection happened. But there is ambiguity here, isn't there? This body of Jesus, resurrected body, was one that could be in a locked room, pass through doors that were locked. In Luke's account of the appearance of the risen Jesus of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, 
tells us that after they recognized him in the breaking of the bread, he disappeared. He disappeared. There is something about this resurrected body of Jesus that is difficult to explain. It is, it, it is physical, but in some ways it has properties that are beyond physical. There is an ambiguity about that. It's, it's the same as if, you know, the promise of the New Testament is that we will share in the resurrection. How are we going to do that? You know, is my missing tooth going to be replaced? Is my gammy knee going to be better? Well, I jolly well hope so. There is a connection between the physical and the resurrected, but they are not the same. There is a, there is a kind of an ambiguity in there. There's, a, there's a, an uncertainty. And the, while the New Testament says very clearly, not only Jesus rose from the dead, but we will share in that resurrection, the nature of that resurrection body is for us ambiguous. We cannot be sure exactly what that means and what it looks like. And I think Mark is pointing to that in the way that his gospel ends. But not only is there that ambiguity, there is the promise. The young man dressed in white at the tomb says, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, there you will see him. And at the end of uh, Matthew's Gospel, as in other places in the New Testament, those promises are fulfilled. They, he meets with them in Galilee, and they see him. And the ascension happens. The ascension, by the way, is another um, little element in that ambiguity. I mean, what on earth happened, you know, at the ascension? They, the the kind of classical um, um, medieval art has, you know, a cloud with Jesus' legs sticking out the bottom of it and he ascended into heaven. I tell you this, I think that heaven is different because Jesus ascended into heaven. There's something physical, don't exactly know what it is, but there's something physical in heaven. Because <laughs> that's where Jesus' body went. That ambiguity is, is, is all the way into heaven. And that means heaven is, is not quite the same as it was before the ascension. But there's this promise, you will see him. So faith holds on to the promise alongside the ambiguity. On um, Thursday night, I don't know how many of you were here, some, quite a number of you were, to hear Adrian Plass and Bridget Plass's wife do their presentation, and it was a wonderful thing. It was full of um, pathos and humour and um, just quite emotional in parts. And one of the things, one of the stories that he told Adrian Plass was this. He said, somebody asked him, why are you still a Christian? <laughs> And he said, the person that was asking the question was somebody he knew quite well and he respected, and he, he didn't want to give any sort of cliched answer to that question. And he had to look quite deeply in himself to find an answer that was honest for him. And what he said was something like, 
this. It's something that burns inside me. And whatever the buffeting, it still burns. Ambiguity and promise alongside each other. And faith holds on to the promise, even in the face of ambiguity. So is this a conclusion? Or is it a continuation? Is it a full stop or is it a colon? And perhaps the answer is, it's both. It is certainly a full stop in the sense that the, the physical life, the earthly life of Jesus came to an end. But it's a continuation because the resurrection life of Jesus both in its physical way and in its beyond physical way, continues. And it's that, that more than physical life that we will share in with him. Let us pray.